Hey, everybody. This is Jay Bayer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to Social Pros, joined again by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist from Salesforce Marketing Cloud, the one, the only. Also, I should say, a guy who gets bourbon delivered via subscription. Via subscription. A subscription bourbon drinker. Adam Brown. Hello, my friend. Well, hello, hello. As, as, as we talk uh, and as we record this uh, previous uh, cast that you're going to hear here in mere, mere moments, I had to step away from, uh, from the microphone for 30 seconds to pick up a delivery of said bourbon. Oh, really? Uh, wow. real, real time bourbon delivery. That's I, impressive. I, yeah. I, that, was, that was when I had to step away from frame what I was, uh, what I was doing. And thankfully, it's Friday uh, as we record this just in time for an uh, adult libation. I think everybody should grab an adult beverage and, and settle in for this week's episode because, man, it is a good one. I tell you what, uh, we are joined by Chuck Heeman, who is the head of digital marketing analytics for a very, very large uh, multinational agency called the W2O Group. But he's also the co-author of the book Digital Marketing Analytics, which was first published five years ago. The brand new second edition written with Ken Burberry uh, is, is out last week, and it is awesome. And boy, we got into some serious nerd talk in this episode. Folks, if you like numbers, this is the social growth episode for you, right, Adam? Absolutely. And, and, and Chuck gives so many great insights uh, from his, his long career here. And one of the things I think I liked most about the show, Jay, was that Chuck really started his career like, like you and I. And so many of our listeners is a social media practitioner. And he has taken that uh, really and, and, and turned it and parlayed it entire, and to an entire kind of industry. He's an author. He has a team of over about 120 people at one of the largest agencies that focuses on these types of things. And as he talks, and one of the things he gets up to in the, uh, in the show is how social data now is, it's true values when you take that social data and you attach it to other social data. And I think that's something that we as social media practitioners have to remember. Yeah, really interesting uh, conversation today, especially, you know, Chuck's really clear-headed about the strengths and the weaknesses of social data. So you're going to want to tune in to this one because you're going to learn a lot. I know I did, Adam did. It's a good one here this week on the Social Pros Podcast. Here's Chuck. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one -one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hi, friends. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Thanks, as always, for listening to Social Pros. I tell you, now, in our eighth year doing this show, it simply wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. This week, they include Salesforce Marketing Cloud, longstanding sponsor of the show. You know, social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, yet some have a hard time using it effectively or measuring results. There's a new complete guide, totally free, from our friends at Salesforce. It's called The Complete Guide to Social 
social media for B2B marketers, and it reveals the best types of content for each segment and each social channel, talks about the role of metrics, social listening, and how to elevate your message and drive results in social for B2B. Really good stuff. No cost. Just go to bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B, the number two B guide, all lowercase. You can download it right now. This week, the show is also brought to you by Brand Watch. As you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of images shared online every second. It's crazy. Instagram everywhere, etc. Brand Watch has world-leading image insights that can discover any logo in any picture and then helps brands measure their visibility within those photos. Pretty cool stuff. They've used this technology to look through, check this out, 250 million images to figure out which logos appear the most, and they've produced the 2018 Brand Visibility Report. This thing is fascinating. It shows you how often the most popular brands are photographed online, how brands are more visible in particular locations, which brands are used more by influencers in their photos, and the sentiment attached to each of the brand's images. Really great stuff. Terrific report. Lots of smart data. Grab it at brandwatch.com slash socialpros brandwatch.com slash social pros, no cost for the brand new 2018 brand visibility report. Awesome. Also, just to note that transcribing your own audio files is a total hassle. Uh, so is captioning your own videos. Rev provides a fast and affordable transcription for just $1 per minute. $1 per minute. We use them here on Social Pros and on all of our podcasts at Convince and Convert. There's no minimums, no contracts to sign. When you upload a file to Rev.com, their team of experienced professionals immediately works on your audio files and delivers a transcript or a caption to your inbox with 99% accuracy in 12 hours or less. 12 hours or less, crazy. It's like elves. Rev is fast, it's inexpensive, and it's freaky accurate. And for Social Pros fans, that's you, they're offering $10 off your first transcription or captions order. So here's what I want you to do. Go to Rev, R-E-V, Rev.com slash Social Pros, Rev.com slash Social Pros, and your $10 off offer will be added to your new account. That's Rev.com slash Social Pros. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised this week on the Social Pros podcast, we actually name-checked him last week as well when I was talking to Will McGinnis. It is the one, the only, Chuck Heeman, who is the Managing Director of Analytics at the W2O Group in Chicago. He's also the co-author of the second edition of a fantastic book released on May 19th called Digital Marketing Analytics, Making Sense of Consumer Data in a Digital World. I want to tell you exactly what I said on the back of this book. I blurbed this book, as they say, mm. in the book publishing business. Here's what I said. Adam, are you ready for this, word for word? I'm ready for Either, it. This is an actual quote from myself. This book is more vital and important than ever. Chuck and Ken Burberry go beyond the basics to show you precisely how to measure every element of your digital marketing, a must-read. And I could not agree more. Terrific job on the book, especially a topic that's changed a lot since when did you write the first book, Chuck? When was the first one came out? Five, first edition? five years ago. Jesus, five that's years. a long time. That's, 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 years, that's like... Seven. Yeah. yeah, that's like the Middle Ages um, for, for digital marketing analytics. Um, thanks for being on the show. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Jay and Adam. I appreciate it. There are so many more sources of data now, right? There's so many more places to get numbers than there were five years ago when you wrote the first edition of the book. Is that from an analytic perspective, and and you are an an analyst or you're a a major analyst in the space and in this industry, 
is the proliferation of data sources a net positive or a net negative? That's a great question. It's one of those questions that I get um, either speaking to clients or speaking um, to conference attendees. And the I think the answer, because I'm an analyst, is it depends, um, Jay. Uh, we, we talk a little bit toward the end of the book about sort of the future of digital data. And one of the things we talk about is that there's actually likely over the next probably five years going to be a consolidation of data sources. But the irony is that there are more places to get data than ever before. A lot of us wear IoT devices, for example, a great place to collect data. But the places that we collect digital data are probably going to, to shrink. Um, if you ask me from, a, from the standpoint of an analyst, I want to have more information than less. So the proliferation of data sources has been good for people like me. If you ask somebody that works inside of a company who's executing the marketing program, they would probably they would probably tell you, you know, please don't uh, please don't shove another data source down my throat. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, obviously our audience is is more social professionals, social media professionals, Chuck. And I'm, I'm going to load this question a little bit, but my question is: Is there any more respect for social analytics than in the past? You know, we have all as social media professionals kind of tripped over ourselves with likes and followers and using these kind of junk metrics. Do you see any more respect and, and how is this changing or progressive uh, progressing in, in your opinion? This is a more timely question than you could possibly have ever imagined, Adam, because we have been having conversations with our clients. We've been having questions with our executives. We've been having questions as an analytics leadership about just this very topic. And it might be a somewhat controversial answer, but I would say that the answer is becoming less uh, relevant. And part of the reason is not because the social, data, the, the social data points themselves are less relevant. It's because it's becoming harder to get. You know, we've all been following sort of the Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica news, but I, I, and the GDPR news, I could foresee a scenario in the very near future where social data, while today very, um, very available, becomes a lot less um, sometime in the future. And so the importance of combining social data with either offline data or search data or owned website data is going to be super important. So you're saying that so, the so data will be less available, that, that some of it will be we held back because the data providers, you know, Twitter, et cetera, are, are concerned about providing access and, and how that data is used. So consequently, we'll have less ability to, to, to get at more data? Yeah, I, I, we, you know, we're, we're pretty given given how large of an analytics team we have, um, 106 analysts around the globe, we, we have pretty active conversations at a product level with a lot of the social listening vendors. And all of them tell us that they could foresee a scenario sometime in the future where Twitter data, forum data, you name it, data would be even harder to get or even more expensive to get sometime down the line. So is it more that the uh, social platforms themselves are going to keep that data to do their own thing? Second question, I'm going to give you multiple choice here. Second is the GDPR challenges that we're all kind of dealing with. And the third, is it more kind of philosophical that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and maybe social data is now only valuable when you, as you said, Chuck, integrate it with other insights, whether that's DMP or customer records or email data, mobile data, 
kind of what, what's that soup look like? I don't think the GDPR consideration is inconsequential, Adam. Um, but I think a lot of data providers are using it as a way to create their own sort of walled gardens and force either brands or agencies like ours to go, um, to, to go directly to them and maybe not to another source or buy another tool with that particular vendor. I'll give you an example, and it's not a social one, unfortunately, but um, a couple of weeks ago, Google announced that they were going to stop allowing advertisers to pass double-click IDs within even Google platforms. Forget about passing a double-click ID sort of out, out of their platform and matching it with another ID from another platform. That kind of thing is rooted in GDPR, but we, we think it's because Google wants to create sort of a one-stop shop for agencies and brands to have to do everything from just basic analytics to attribution with them directly. So do you believe that uh, putting on your crystal ball and crystal hat <laughs> that Facebook obviously is, is restricted considerably um, for, yeah. for, for the obvious reasons that, that you just mentioned? Are we going to see that same restriction take place with their other own properties, the Instagrams, the WhatsApp, et cetera? Or are they going to try new things? Or are they going to actually say, hey, you know what? We're not just going to be keeper of your social data, but we want you, customer or agency, to share all the other data that you have with us. And then we'll do the secret sauce maxing and matching and basically what in many cases, your analyst at W2O Group are doing. So you're thinking um, that, that Facebook could be its own DMP then, right? Essentially, right? That yeah. if, you, if, you, if you upload stuff, then they'll play nice. I believe that is going to happen, yes. I mean, if you look at some of the, the F8 announcements that happened, what was that, last week or two weeks ago, they announced a lot of both enhancements, improvements, additions to the uh, Facebook analytics suite of offerings. I... I you know, they, they want to do everything from just sort of basic up, applying pixels to ultimately journey mapping and attribution. Now, I know you and, and your team do a lot of work in and around healthcare. Uh, that's a big market segment for you, which is a even more regulated industry than, than some others. So you're dealing with an entirely different layer of data, an entirely different level of personally identifiable information. How how do you work with that? And is that a kind of a, a bellwether or canary in the coal mine for less regulated or restricted industries? It, it probably is. And, you know, healthcare companies have a lot of really interesting data to, to people like me on either their healthcare professional, key opinion leaders, the people that they work with directly um, in the physician community, but also patients. You know, I, I think what we're having to spend a lot of time on, even more time than maybe we would have anticipated, is the on anonymization of the data that we're collecting on their behalf and taking even greater pains to make sure that there is not sensitive, personally identifiable information passing from our hands to their hands and vice versa. I mean, obviously we do a fair bit of media buying. Obviously we do a fair bit of digital activation for some of those healthcare clients. Obviously we're collecting some of that in order to measure, but we, we are taking great pains to make sure that data is anonymous if, we're end up, if we end up passing it on to our clients. Chuck, last week on the show, we had Will McGinnis, who's the CMO of Brandwatch, as our guest. And, and I asked him a question. I wanted to ask you the same question because you kind of come at it from two different sides. Uh, we asked him, 
a, a lot of the social listening and social insights tools primarily use Twitter as as their data source because it is the one that has the open API that has uh, all, all the chatter and the ability to get at it with the fire hose. However, as you well know, as I know, as Adam knows, as probably all of our listeners know, Twitter is now the sixth most popular social network in the United States, is, is using a Twitter-centric approach to social listening and, and business intelligence misleading, or does it have run the risk of misleading brands and agencies because you're not really getting the whole story, you're just getting sort of the Twitter-filtered story? Uh, I Yes. And I, I would say, um, again, you, you guys follow the industry very closely, and I know your listeners do as well. I, the the Sysimos meltwater acquisition from again I, everything seems to have happened in the last week or two yeah. um, from a couple of weeks back it's not an it's not an accident why that happened to your point Jay I think social listening platforms have been very Twitter centric because historically it's been the easiest data source to get except they're under pressure from clients um, in order to deliver a broader set of data um, so that a better insight can be delivered about whatever the case may be, likely an audience or a theme or whatever. And so I, I think those sorts of acquisitions are going to be more likely in the future. And it's, you know, that, that pressure, is, I think, is coming from um, agencies and, and brands alike. We, we don't want to just rely on Twitter data anymore. I'll ask you one other question that I asked Will last week, which was, in your estimation, is it better to begin the analytics and insights generation process with a question or a hypothesis, or is it better to start with a source of data and then try to identify patterns? Uh, much better to start with a hypothesis. I mean, it literally every single um, engagement that we start with a client on the analytics side starts with what do we want to learn? And then we back into the data sources that we, that we want to collect. And again, more and more, that data set is wide ranging. I mean, it it will include social data, of course, um, but it it include it'll include search, it'll include owned, it'll include any sort of uh, customer data that uh, a client might have. I mean, it's it's wide ranging. Recognizing that now, if we if we uh, agree with your hypothesis, which I think I think we do, Chuck, that you know it, it, this, the data is more about all the things that you attach to social. For those people who are listening to our show who are getting started in social media. What would you recommend to them? Would you recommend that they continue to focus kind of exclusively on understanding more about social media metrics, the social media platforms and things like that? Or do they need to broaden their horizons in terms of understanding those interconnections? So understanding kind of DMP, understanding where the, the source of truth or the source of data exists in el- other places and those, those connections. So it's kind of the same question that Jay asked, but more from a kind of from a career advice standpoint? Uh, let me answer this from a couple of different directions, Adam. First is, let, let's set aside the fact the, the measurement question for a minute because I, there is, I, I think there will be more and more data that is available that help brands understand, did this contribute or not to a positive ROI? I, I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. From a, there, there will be less data to perform what I would call audience research or thematic research or whatever the case may be. I think there will be less and less of that. Coming back to your question, uh, the simplest way I can say this is run the to the Google Analytics training modules. Take them this weekend. The beginner <laughs> module takes a couple of hours. The advanced module takes a couple of hours. The quiz is 70 questions. You get 80% right. You're GA certified and everyone's happy. No, uh, learning about 
the web analytics platforms, mission critical. I would say they have amazing double-click trainings. Learn about the double-click training. Uh, take the double-click trainings. They have amazing GTM or Google Tag Manager trainings. Take those. Learn about the DMPs. Reach out to the, the Blue Kai's, the audience manager from Adobe, Newstar, and others, and learn about those. I, I, I don't think, um, I think a lot of just sort of social analysts in general, but really social media practitioners are sort of still seeing this in sort of the very narrow box and they need to be expanding their horizon sooner than later. I think it's, it's interesting that you, you answer it in that way because one of the things I've often talked about on the show is some of the research that we've done uh, is Salesforce research where we talk to 3,500 CMOs every year. And one of the things we found out this past year was that CMOs are focusing less on titles like a social team, a web team, a digital team, and more on outcomes, more on retention, uh, new customer acquisition, et cetera, which behooves kind of what you're talking about, that we've, all, we've got to know all these crafts. We've got to know all these different platforms if we're going to continue to be, in, in our case, a social media practitioner that's effective. What's interesting is um, folks who uh, will, you know, are, are listening to this podcast will probably think I hate social data. Um, <laughs> that less than true. I mean, well, it that's going to be the headline of the episode for sure. Uh, and that's why, great. Why new Success. book hates social data. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, my, my remit at W2O and was at Intel before a pretty heavy media and digital role. So social was a component of that. And I still do believe that social data can tell us a tremendous amount about our audience and is as valuable as ever in that endeavor. I, my, my commentary is coming from the standpoint of I, we talk to the social listening providers, we talk to the platforms, we sort of read the tea leaves, talk to clients, you know, look at some of the regulatory considerations that are out there and think, geez, I, how long is that going to be the case? And so, you know, we're trying to prep our clients and ourselves um, by widening the aperture a bit. I want to ask you a little bit more about the book. And, and again, folks, the book is called Digital Marketing Analytics, so it should be pretty easy to find. Make sure on Amazon you get the second edition released on May 19th of this year uh, from Chuck and his co-author, Ken Burberry. Chuck, when you sit down to refresh a book about digital marketing analytics, and it's been five years since the first edition, like how do you even start that? Because there's a lot of water under the bridge in five years. Do you sort of go through the existing book and say, nope, that's no longer right. Nope, that's no longer right. Or do you say, all right, what is right? What do we know? What do we want to communicate? And then how do we fit that into the framework of the existing manuscript? I would say we, um, it's a good question. We, we created probably a 75% new outline of the book. Um, there's about a quarter of it that still maintains. If we sort of think back to the first version, there were a lot of frameworks in there that have stood the test of time. How do you use data to anticipate a crisis? That has stayed relatively consistent. You know, how you activate influencers, dare I say, has expanded, but also, you know, stayed relatively consistent. How you develop a research plan has stayed relatively consistent. The process of developing a measurement scorecard has stayed relatively consistent. What hasn't are the, the number of use cases for digital data that has exploded exponentially um, in five years. The other thing that has changed a lot, if you look at the table of contents from V1 to V2, 
there are no chapters on tools. Um, we eliminated, we had six or seven chapters on tools. I'm now forgetting my own book. Um, six or seven chapters on, on tools in V1. You will not see that in V2. Um, there is an entire chapter on developing your marketing technology stack and the st steps you need to do in order to do that. How you achieve adoption, evaluation, uh, how you evolve it, those sorts of things. But you know, those, those things have changed pretty, pretty dramatically. So to answer your question, Jay, we, we sort of created a brand new outline um, scrapping what was old and then where the old was applicable brought that back in. Chuck, was there anything that you and Ken read in the first edition as you went through it, whether it was a mention of a social platform that's no longer there or a strategy or tactic, and you went, oh my gosh, you know, not only were we off, but the whole industry was off and thinking that this was the next big thing. Just curious, what was that one thing? I, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, our decision to scrap the tools chapters came when we looked at the social influence tools and realized one. Like the recently exists. departed Clout, for example. Yes. Yes. It, Clout was the one that was still around. Um, up and <laughs> of all the tools, that was the one that was still around. <laughs> it was and, the last and one. And now is it, ironically. So. Um, so that was the decision. We, uh, you know, when, when we looked at that chapter and realized none of those tools still existed, we realized it was time to, time to change course. Plus, I, I just want to sort of add into that. I, I don't, like... I think the natural instinct is to run to a tool to help scale. And that is exactly the wrong path. I think the last five years has taught us that it is a cocktail of people, process, and technologies, or if you prefer three Ps, people, process, and platforms. Without the people in the process, I don't care how good the tool is, it, uh, you're not going to succeed. I'm curious... Chuck, you mentioned your team there at W2O Group, uh, well over 100, 100 120 uh, analysts. And you know, in an agency situation, typically the, uh, the, the analytics team kind of assists the, uh, the media buying team. They, um, and that's primarily at least the homeroom, if you will, they have been for for so long. But I'm curious, has that changing or is that changing where you're is doing as much on supporting the media by as informing creative kind of here's what the zeitgeist is on this particular topic or talking to the account service team on here's the best way to support or handle this particular account. Curious if your role and kind of what your homeroom is inside of W2O group has just changed any in the past four or five years. Uh, let me, let me answer this one from two different directions too, Adam. So from, from the standpoint of my current job, I mean, if you look at just my afternoon today, I spent, time with our account leaders. I spend time with our activation leaders and I spend time with our creative leaders. So the, to answer your question as directly as possible, I, analytics is servicing the entirety of the business. If you look at this from the standpoint of a brand, because I worked for one um, as of a year ago, literally this week, there, there were a lot of ongoing interesting conversations to be had about the role of a standalone analytics function versus embedding analysts within the business and whether or not embedding analysts within the business would cut down the delay that we would that we typically see uh, between collecting data, analyzing data, developing insights, and actually activating on it. One of the things that I know a lot of big brands are struggling with is: do we do we have an analytics COE? Do we have a separate standalone digital analytics team? Do we just sort of throw them in the channel? Do we um, organized by audience, like how do we how do we structure this? Everyone realizes that data is and analytics are super important, 
how to organize it within a big company is, I think, a big challenge that uh, a lot of us are trying to solve both inside and outside of companies. I think it's a challenge for small companies too, uh, yeah. partially because you don't have the resources to, to have a, a, a freestanding, in some cases, even a freestanding person. One of the mm-hmm. things that I have espoused for a long time now is, is that the people doing the work probably shouldn't be doing the analysis of that work. Um, that you sort of have a unintentional fox watching the mathematical hen house situation there. But I still see it in a lot of small and medium sized brands and agencies where, uh, of course, the things that we get most involved in on our side, the social media practitioners or the content marketing practitioners are also responsible for generating the reports that ostensibly prove the value of their work to, to the enterprise. That probably is less than optimal, I would think. Do, do you agree? And, and how do you solve for that? I, I do. Um, I do think it's less than optimal. I think there is credibility um, in having a standalone analyst or analytics team evaluating success. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I, I tell clients all the time, and I used to say in-house at Intel, is I don't really care if you spend 100% of your money on organic search. That's not how I'm incented. I'm incented by delivering you the best insight possible that I can. Um, and if that is spending 100% of your money on organic search, I can't imagine why you do that. But anyway, um, 100% of your money on organic search, then great, do that. I think, Jay, your, your question is interesting because I, I, I think people oftentimes blend the concept of optimization with measurement. And I think in the case of you know, activating a content marketing program, like in the examples that you were, the example you were just sharing, I think it's valid for those individuals to be continually optimizing. I think the step that's oftentimes missing is folks like myself saying, here's the metric you should use to optimize that most closely ladders to a KPI that we are measuring on the back end. So there's a really the really tight linkage. Yeah, I think that's a terrific distinction, Chuck. I think that's a really important way uh, to look at it, the difference between measurement and, and optimization. Absolutely. If you could pick one source of data, this is like survivor, uh, but of data, said, okay, Chuck, you're a global managing director of a bunch of analysts. You've been doing this forever. You're, you're OG on the data side. Uh, you only get one stream of data. What would it be? Can I cheat and pick a platform that aggregates multiple streams? Sure. One of the things that we do talk about in the book is that um, we, we try not to pigeonhole on a tool or pigeonhole on a set of tools. But I, I do believe if you are a you know, reasonably sized company, probably big company to enterprise size, you should be evaluating DMPs. Um, and I'm not you know, trying to suck up to Adam here. I do believe that it is the best way for you to learn about your audience. And I do believe it is the best way to aggregate multiple data streams. Do I think it's easy to onboard? No. Do I think they are expensive? Certainly. Do I think they add more value than a lot of brands realize? Absolutely, yes. On a related point, what do you think of, uh, Adam, you probably should earmuffs this one. Who knows what Adam's going to think of this question. But what do you think of, of sort of the data aggregation platforms, uh, like Datarama is probably the one I'm most familiar with, Th- those kind of tools that sort of in- ingest data from a bunch of sources and try and draw correlation and causation patterns. Um, as, an, as an analyst, how, how do you feel about that sort of type and category of software? Tried them all. 
have mostly positive things to say about the, the data ramas, the origami logics, the, the ilk, Microsoft be power BI is, I guess in this category now. Sure. Other than uh, the fact that all three of those are terrible product names, but yeah, let's go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, no offense I, to the people at origami logic, but that's just a bad product name. I, I just, <laughs> you know, we have, I have literally tried them all. I tried them all at Intel. We tried them all here. They, they have beautiful visualizations. The, the use case for them is perfectly valid. The technical challenges though, are not inconsiderable. Uh, Facebook changes their API. Like we change our socks. Google Analytics API is a bear to work with if you've ever worked with it. Um, and so if you are trying to ingest social data feeds or you're trying to ingest Google, it, they, they break down. I, I, if, if we're viewing this as sort of a survivor situation, I see the likes of Tableau surviving this game more than anybody else. Chuck, I want to ask a question very similar to Jay's, but I'm going to take it one step further. Okay. So Jay asked kind of what, what is that data like or that one you know, source of data that if you could only have one? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it one step further. Uh, obviously, you're a spreadsheet jockey because that's all that you do. You're looking at columns and rows, columns and rows. Yeah. Taking the way that you answered Jay's question, what is that one column of data that gets you most excited? If, if you know, here's the source of truth, knowing that this is our customer, what's that one column? What's that one piece of information about customer 4728 that gets you the most excited that you think you can trigger more actions or activities on than anything else? And, and it, it can't be something simple like, you know, frequent customer or something like that. It's got to be something fun. Boy, something fun. Um, it, assuming you're appending social data, and I'm now spending the rest of our time here together trying to redeem myself amongst the social data vendors of the world. I'm demeaning the social media data profession. (laughs) You know, one of the more interesting things to me is always reading the actual content of the post itself. Like the username is nice, how big their influence is nice, where they're located is nice, who they're connected to is also nice. You could do some really interesting network mapping. But what they actually say in the post itself is particularly exciting. I mean, one of, the, one of the things we've spent a lot of time on recently at W2O is expanding our linguistics capabilities. We've got a lot of classically trained linguists just to solve this particular conundrum, trying to really understand the root of the language and the root of what a person is talking about. Like, that stuff is really interesting to me because... Um, for so long, and we, we have our own market research practice and it ha- adds a lot of value to our clients, but for so long we've relied on sort of stated responses to questions, but now there are a lot of really sophisticated algorithms that allow us to understand that, that language. And so if you gave me a, a spreadsheet of social data and it had the content in it, I'd be thrilled. You'd be focusing on that. I would. You know, I've had the opportunity, like Jay, to know you for for many years. In fact, we both moved to Atlanta within like a week of each other uh, when you were here uh, nearly 10 years ago. Love for you to share with everyone kind of how you got to the position that you have now and your your, your, your time that you spent at Intel and at other brands and at other in, uh, agencies. It's fascinating, Chuck, how you've kind of evolved to being one of the, uh, the, the world's kind of smartest person on, uh, on marketing analytics. That's super nice of you to say. I, I don't know if you guys listen to the uh, How I Built This podcast, but Guy Raz asks the question at the end of every podcast, like, you know, was it luck? Was it smart or intelligence? And I do believe question. it is some combination of both. I, I really was at sort of the right place on the right time. I mean, I was 
pivoting in my career from a sort of PR and IR related research function more into social and digital right at the same time that Radiant 6 and Sysimos were coming alive. I mean, I, it was extremely fortunate. I was also extremely fortunate to be given a platform by folks like yourself, by folks like Jay, by like David Alston and Marcel Lebrun and all of those guys yeah. at Radiant 6. They gave me a platform to really um, grow my career. The one thing I would say though is it is success. If you are successful as an analyst, there's probably one trait that you have, and that is an inane curiosity. You are always curious about everything. Like it could be the tumbleweed rolling down the, the hallway. You are interested about how that tumbleweed got there. You are a naturally curious person. There have been a number of interviews with analysts over my career where I've, I've been talking to them and they, they display that curiosity. And I immediately stop the interview and say, we're, we're good. Like we're on to the sort of the next step. And I, I kind of feel like starting back then with Radiant 6 and Sysimos and all of them and sort of diving in and being curious about what those platforms delivered all the way to now, where we're talking about like identity verification and what live ramp and the new stars of the world deliver. Like that, that stuff gets me just as excited today as the Radiant 6s did 10 or 11 years ago. And if you had to kind of determine which of those aspects you were going to, to double down on. As you look at your team, is there anything without sharing any proprietary secrets of kind of how you're leading W2O group? Is there any area that you're like, okay, you know what? I want four or five of you to really start double clicking down on this. I think, I think there's something there. What is that there? Uh, so I would, I, it's hard to answer with just one. I would say it's a few things. Um, okay. Data science capabilities are not, uh, they're, they're more important than ever. They're not the only thing, but they're more important than ever. I would say marketing technology skills are the second. About four months ago, five months ago, hired our own marketing technology leader. That is mission critical. We have more clients than ever asking us, how do we put together this stack? Um, the so third, lots of silos help me bring them together. Right, exactly. Yep. And then I would say the third, and this is really where I play today, but I, I think it's super important is you, you have to have people who can distill what uh, a data scientist pulls together into some sort of meaningful business insight for the client. That role still exists. And what I see happening sort of in the very near future, if it's not already happened or happening, is roles like mine, um, senior analytics leader, are merging with strategy faster than ever. Mm. Um, and I consider myself more of a strategist than I do an analyst these days. Um, and so I, I'm really, I'm looking for, for those three roles, uh, more than ever. Because why would you be a strategist without data? Yeah. Point, right? I, mean, I mean, you're, you're just sort of making shit up at that point. Yeah. And, and if you look at the W2O website, you, you would see that analytics is the heart of it, at everything of everything we do. And it legitimately is, you know, that I talk to our activation and strategy partners, probably even more than any other stakeholder audience. One of the things that's really impressed me uh, and humbled me about you, Chuck, is unlike most data, you know, data junkies, um, and I've known a lot of them, you know, most of them are, are kind of more on that uh, right side of the brain, you know, very analytical, uh, not quite as, as, as creative, but you, you really straddle the fence. You're as creative as you are analytical. And do you think that this is a requirement now to be a data scientist, to be a, uh, in analytics, to be in the kind of more number side of marketing in 2018? Yeah. I mean, I do, I do think so. And I feel a little bit like a, like a broken record, but I, you, 
that creativity is um, more important than ever, especially as more data sources become available to us. So I, I don't imagine that like we're going to see more more data pop up. I do see some consolidation on the, the horizon, but I think in the very, very near term, there's going to be more and more data available to us. And so having the ability to hear a client problem and say, you know, this requires social data or no, you know what, actually it's market research. Not actually we need a blended approach is something, is a skill that I think all analysts need. But if you're a senior analytics leader, I mean, it's a requirement. What else is a requirement is to play a lot of golf, at least if you're Chuck. Chuck is a hmm. massive golf fan, in addition to the co-author of the second edition of Digital Marketing Analytics, available now. Get yourself a copy and read it. It is going to make you a better social media marketer. All right, Chuck, what is the, the two things? Best place you've played golf and best hmm. golf tournament you've attended? Because I know you and I have attended a lot of good golf tournaments, so I, I, want, I want both answers. So the best course I've ever played is still the ocean course at Kiowa Island. It is a mixture of unbelievably long, windy, challenging golf course. And if you play it any time after the month of May, a sauna. So <laughs> guaranteed to play a great round of golf and lose 15 pounds at the same time. <laughs> and the maybe best, 15 balls as well. And probably, yeah, probably 15 balls. I, the the greatest the best tournament I've ever been to I was at I went to the Masters for the first time in um, April of this year, and it is definitively one of those places. If you've never been to Augusta National and, and you're even remotely a fan of golf, you must go. It is absolutely one of the best experiences I've had at any sporting event, golf or golf or otherwise. I'm walking in and having a senior old sort of uh, Southern man say, welcome to Augusta National and enjoy the Masters and hand you a T-sheet. There is like, there is nothing better uh, than that in my opinion. I went with my, my dad and my brother uh, uh, several years ago and I could not agree more. And anybody who's not a golf fan is listening to this right now. Like this is the stupidest conversation in the history of this podcast, but you don't get it. Uh, it is, it is really, really something. I'm glad you got to go. I didn't know you went this year. That's, that's awesome. I, and that's, that's, uh, you'll never forget it. I know I certainly won't. Chuck, we're going to also close the show by asking the two questions we've asked every single guest on the show, 318 guests or something it is now. What one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? Study analytics as much as possible. That's a little self-serving, but I, I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> if only there was a book they could read to help them. It's a more critical skill than ever. I mean, I really, I, even if I had just dropped here from Mars or Venus, I, I, would, I would say the same thing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an unbelievably important skill to know. Yep, agreed. And last question for Chuck Heeman, who is the head of the analytics practice at the W2O Group, co-author of the second edition and the first edition, but the second edition is out now, the book Digital Marketing Analytics, which both Adam and I recommend very, very highly. If you could do a video call with any living person, Chuck, who would it be? I'm, I'm gonna give you two and I'll be, I'll be quick. I would say I would love to have a video call with Thomas uh, Keller from uh, the French Laundry. Yeah, nice. um, in addition to loving golf, I love food. I would absolutely love to talk to him, and I would. I, I think everyone would love to have a conversation with Barack Obama. I would. 
I would absolutely love that. Okay, so this is crazy. Back-to-back weeks of Barack Obama answers on the Social Pros podcast. Last week, Will McGinnis from Brandwatch, also a data analysis guy, said Barack Obama, which is amazing because he's an Englishman, not even a citizen of America, and he still said Barack Obama. That's a good impact when you're when you're not even from the country and you still say Barack Obama. That's pretty I good, just, Chuck, as well. It's just unbelievably inspiring. I mean, just unbelievably inspiring even today when you hear him speak. You're like... Can you, I'll just stand up and run through the wall for you right now, actually. Yeah, that would have been a good football coach or basketball coach, probably more likely in his case. Indeed. Chuck, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Always great to catch up with you. Congratulations uh, to you and to Ken on on, uh, getting the second edition of the book yet. I know it was a ton of work. And as you said, uh, you rewrote basically the whole book from scratch. So I know that was quite an endeavor. So well done. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Always a pleasure. Awesome episode. Ladies and gentlemen, next week on the Social Pros Podcast, we're going to talk about affiliate marketing. We're going to be joined by Priest Willis, who is the head of the affiliate program at Lenovo, also runs an affiliate marketing agency uh, called the Affiliate Mission. We're going to talk about the confluence, the combination, uh, the conglomeration of affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, and social media. Interesting and important topic that we haven't covered too much on the show yet, so look forward to that. Again, as always, you can get all the archives of the show going back eight years now, every single recording, mm-hmm. every single transcript, every single link, go to socialpros.com uh, and waste your life. You could just spend, you know, the rest of your day. <laughs> that. Um, you know, it's like, it's like Game of Thrones, but with social media people. Uh, until next week, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and this is Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.